Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering, ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Melanie. Thank you. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater and undereater. Hi, Melanie. And it is such an honor and privilege to be here. I know that normally speakers stand, but I'm 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> that is the one thing I cannot do. I can walk and swim, and you know, but I just cannot stand. So thank you, Rod, and I forget your name. Mickey, thank you for just organizing it for me to sit, because it does actually make it possible for me to do this. Um, and I'm grateful to the baby for not coming out two weeks early, so <laughs> good to be here. Um, and um, I'm not going to talk too much about being pregnant, because it's a very specific niche, but if anyone in here goes through that, or has a partner that goes through it, call me, because it is a ride on its own. And, um, and I've really leaned on the women in this program um, that have done this before me, in terms of food and body, everything just having to change, so... Anyone, call me, email me, find me. I would love to pass on what, what I was given because it's been an incredible, incredible experience. Um, and, and it wouldn't as all, as all, as my whole life now. I, re- I really do feel, I, I mean it literally when I say I owe my life to this program. Um, I, will, I will talk a little bit about what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. I came into OA in 1997 and I remember very little about my first year in program, which kind of says to me that I wasn't really ready. Uh, I did get abstinent right away, and then I lost my abstinence when I'd been in for about a year and three or four months. Um, my, my natal birthday is this month, and that's always been a really kind of funky time of year for me. I get really emotional and kind of really overthink, and... Uh, and I lost, I lost the, the year little bit plus of abstinence that I had on my natal birthday in 1998. And about a week later, I got abstinent and have stayed abstinent since August 1st. So if I keep working the steps and the tools one day at a time with God's help on August 1st of this year, I'll have 13 years of abstinence. Um, and that is from... Thank you. <laughs> That is, uh, abstaining my abstinence is really simple. Um, it's abstaining from binging and purging and starving. And, and for me, I was not uh, a bulimic that stuck my finger down my throat and made myself throw up that way. But I did exercise for four and five hours at a time, and I did use herbal laxatives. God forbid I use a chemical. <laughs> and I could cheat and pretend I wasn't actually using laxatives if they were made of herbs. Uh, but they did the same thing. So I haven't done that in 13 years. I haven't starved myself and I haven't binged. Um, so I was thinking, you know, since Rod asked me to be here, um, you know, I've listened to different podcasts and heard, you know, really heard amazing things from people. And I've just sort of been thinking over the last little period of time. Yeah, I've been a, I was a compulsive overeater for as long as I can remember. Like, from, I mean, I just my, I can't remember a time that I wasn't trying to get what was in the freezer or fridge or on someone else's plate or staring at with someone else's plate. I had to have three bottles, like, I couldn't have one. There's pictures of me with three. And uh, and food was just like the center was always where my attention went. And then when I was about 10, I remember this moment really specifically where I went into the bathroom. I don't know why. I got up in the middle of the dinner. I went into the bathroom. I took off all my clothes, and I just stared at myself and said, you are so fat. And I started at 10 um, dieting and exercising. And my dad had a jukebox, 
and I would play all the songs on the jukebox and jump up and down in the living room, like jump up and down and skip and run in place. And I was 10, and um, which kind of blows my mind. And so I kept that, I kept the, the binging and the starving and the exercising routine up starting at that age until I was, uh, you know, 18, I guess, when I came in, when I came in here. So I thought, you know, I feel like my disease, there was so much, I so wanted privacy in my life, and I grew up with my mom, and there, there really were very few boundaries in our house, and I so wanted privacy, and I feel like part of my disease was so much about having this secret that was mine, like I felt like there was nothing in the house that was just mine. So my food and the ways that I snuck food and the ways that I stuffed food and then the ways that I got rid of food and all of that were really like this private ritual. And I, and on top of that, like my weight gain, like at my lowest weight, between my lowest weight and my highest weight, there's maybe a 20-pound difference. Like I never wore my disease super blatantly on the outside, kind of for that reason as well. I didn't want anyone fussing with me either way I didn't want anyone I wanted attention for being skinny but I didn't want attention for being too skinny because then you try to like mess with what I was doing and I would let myself get a little bit big but then I wouldn't let myself get too big so I didn't want you to tell me to stop doing what I was doing so it was like I just the yo-yo allowed me to keep it very much just very very hidden and very very private um and you know I it was a disease that was in my house like my my mom you know, definitely has this, and my grandmother, and so they, you know, there was also, like, people were in their own disease and maybe not paying as much attention to me as I thought, but, I, you know, I couldn't risk being found out, but I think that um, along with the privacy, it was like, I am, as I know a lot of people in these rooms are, just a die-hard perfectionist, like someone said in their share being a drill sergeant with themselves, I have always not, I mean, thankfully not in recovery, and I'll get to that later, but been an absolute drill sergeant with myself and never doing anything good enough. I couldn't even go to a party and have a conversation that was good enough. I would spend the entire next day calling my friends, being like, was it okay that I said that? Was it okay that I said that? And blah, 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 blah. And I just could never do anything right. And so my... There was so much shame in the overeating of my disease. Like, so much shame. I remember sitting on the phone with a friend of mine who kind of also, I, I think had this disease too, I don't remember, I, like, it was, you know, I was 14, but eating an entire bag of bagels on the phone with her, and then just crying, and being so horrified that I had just done that, but what the nice thing about all that shame was is, it gave me something to then fix the next day, and I loved having a project to fix, I loved really screwing up, and then having something to do for the next however long it took for me to remedy what I'd done, eat fruit for three days, exercise for 12 hours. Like, I had then a project and, like, a point of focus, and I think I just had, bless you, um, I think I just had so much sort of nervous, scared energy about life that I, that I like, I needed somewhere to put it. So it's like, as long as, if I went up and down and up and down and up and down, there was always something for me to do, you know? And and so food and body, like, that's what I did. And I just, I pray so hard <laughs> that, like, my child does not have this disease because there's so much creative energy and life and everything to just be lived that, for me, was just channeled into 
I ate this, and now I'm going to get rid of it to be skinny. And what am I going to eat for the next three days? And what's my diet? And let's write it out and put it on the fridge. And then let's break it. And then let's tell me when it broke it. And then let's, you know, let's plan the binges. Let's plan the diet. It's just all of that. And it was, it went on for, yeah, people were late. Um, it was, it was crazy. And I was incredibly high functioning, like straight A's, crazy SAT stores, full scholarship to college, tons of extra, extracurricular activities. Like somehow in the midst of all of this, Again, like, I think part of it, the hiding of it, like, you never knew. I was so on top of everything. And people being like, you know, when I was 12, I was stage managing this show at this big theater. I was 12 in this place that, <laughs> that I grew up. And it was, like, just an abnormal, I would take on an abnormal amount of responsibility and do it really well. Um, and somehow, somehow I, I still don't really know how that works. I don't know how I managed to do all of that, but I've heard it in here before, so I know I'm not the only person with an addiction that manages to look like they've got it all together. Um, so I, I feel like kind of the through line of my recovery and the part that continues to deepen on a day-by-day-by-day-by-day basis is that such a part of that need to, you know, if I binge, then I had to get rid of it or starve it away or whatever, like, that, and, and the perfectionism rooted in that such a part of my recovery is about being imperfect and owning that I'm imperfect and not having shame about when I'm imperfect and not needing to cover it up when I make a mistake. Um, and that's still really, that's still so challenging in certain areas of my life. Um, but it's where, but it's where the magic for me lies. And I wasn't really able to get abstinent until I, you know, the, that first year and, and I, so how how I came in here is I'd gone off to college and I lived with a girl who started coming to OA because she had a tragic thing happen and couldn't eat. I don't understand that at all. (laughs) She started coming to OA because she just couldn't eat. Um, And so, but what came out of that is she told me about OA. And, you know, again, like, what do you mean she told me that away? Like, I thought I had it so well covered up, as we all do. But, you know, her boxes of cereal were disappearing. So, and I'm the only one. Like, it was me and the dog. So, um, so she told me about it. And I was really resistant. Because, again, it was like, I can, like, I can do this. And I grew up in a pretty, like, a pretty spiritual house. Like, I had faith. I didn't really have a working relationship with a higher power. But I had faith. And I, and I loved, like, lying in the ocean and sort of, you know, meditating and just feeling that life was going to turn out wonderfully somehow, even though today was pretty horrible. They knew it was going to turn out somehow. So the fact that, I, so anyone approaching me about that, again, sort of felt like this invasion of my privacy and invasion of my space, and I did not want to open that door at all. And I tell you the truth, don't remember why I went with her ever. I have no, I, I do not remember the conversation that got me to my first meeting. But I went, and and I and I heard, you know, I heard a, a young woman happened to be the speaker, like a woman a couple years older than me, and she was talking about the crazy things with food that she did. And I thought, and I and I liked her, and she was kind of cool and looked kind of Hollywoody. And I thought, okay, I was in college out here, and um, so I kept going. But like I said, I don't, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't go to any lengths, and I didn't get a sponsor, and I didn't start working the steps, and I just didn't really. 
go, I didn't really take program in that first year. I kind of, I liked the meetings and I liked the sort of social aspect of it. And I liked that there were some really pretty women there that I kind of wanted to be like when I got older, you know, like she seemed to have a great career. She seemed pretty, she had really pretty hair. And, you know, it's like I just, I kind of was going about it that way. So it's really no surprise to me that I didn't keep my abstinence. And when I lost it, it was so humiliating. It was so, I couldn't believe the amount of food I ate. And I ate to the point where I, where my body, where I threw up. Like, I didn't make myself throw up. I threw up. And I, that had actually never happened to me before. I can eat an enormous amount of food. And it always had stayed in. Hence, I would have to get it out. But this, but it was like, it was so shocking to me. Um, and I guess it just hit a chord in me somewhere. And, uh, and I decided that, I, you know, something, it was like the growing up I needed to do in that moment, and something had to change, so, um, so I came back, and, and when I came back, I, I, you know, that first year, one of the reasons I didn't have a sponsor is, like, I was looking for the person who was in my line of work, who was super pretty, who just, you know, again, it was like, it was this sort of, everything that didn't have to do within these rooms is what I was looking for in my sponsor, um, so when I came back, I just really, I just really started humbly listening for people that had managed to not do what I was doing with food. And I got a sponsor pretty quickly. And um, I've had a couple different ones over the years. And, and I've, they've all been amazing. Like in the beginning, I sort of went through a few, not quickly, but like I didn't really stick with one for more than, I don't know, six months, eight months. Just sort of, you know, started working the steps. And I finally, there was a woman who I heard and she so had my, she had my story and she just she was about 10 years older than I was she seemed so grounded she was funny she was open and I remember asking her if she would be my sponsor and she said I'm full right now but call me in February I don't know why February maybe her maybe her work schedule or something was changed she was like call me in February so I kept working with you know with I don't remember if it was the one person I'd had or if I worked with someone else, but I marked February in my calendar and I called her and she was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, she like, I reminded her that she told me to call her and I started working with her and I worked with her for four and a half years. Um, and I really feel like that is where that I had, I had maintained abstinence at whatever for those August to Feb, whatever August to February is. But that February is where I really felt like this, felt this program start to take root, and I really started working the steps, and I really, I just did what she said, which is the upshot of being a really good student, too, is that I do what people say. I'm not a rebellious pussy. <laughs> You're like, tell me to do the writing by tomorrow at 8 a.m. I will have it done, and I will call you on time, and I will, you know, but, um, but that worked to my advantage because I was really, really willing to do what she wanted me to do. And she was gentle, too. You know, she wasn't, I sort of, I wanted, um, and I still want sometimes in my life and other things, someone just to tell me the game plan. Like, tell me how to get where I want to go. Give me the exact route. I could not have picked a work life with less of that kind of a path than the one I have, which is, you know, again, like karmic and perfect, that every day I have to kind of, there is no path for what I do. And, um... And with this, it was like she she didn't present it to me that way. You know, it's like we read, I underlined, we talked about it. She really encouraged me to have an abstinence that was, you know, the, the one that I'd sort of been doing, which was basic, which was no binging, purging, starving. But she, I wanted to sort of be like, well, should I fix it? Like, should I make it this and that? And I hear other people do this and other people do that. And she really encouraged me not to do that, to keep it, you know, wide enough. That it's something that I could, that I'd be very clear about if I broke, but that I really could keep and allow myself to be imperfect in. Because I guess 
again, she had so picked, she had picked up on what was the truth about me, which is like, I will, I feel like I would do anything to be perfect. (laughs) So in order for me to really get in touch with a higher power, which is, and I really, I feel like I owe her my, like a conscious connection to a higher power. I had to let things be a little like gray and kind of messy and uncomfortable because I never wanted to be uncomfortable. And, you know, if stuffing all the food in was comfort while it was going in and then it was uncomfortable so the comfort was in getting it out. So I could just never, I never just wanted to sit with things feeling icky and she really wanted me to sit with things that felt yuck, you know, and kind of, and, and help me find my way that way. So, um, so that was it. That was a huge turning point for me, obviously. And, um, and you know, I do feel like it, this is a spiritual program and, and my relationship with my higher power is at the heart of any recovery that I have. And, um, you know, this, the, I'm a, I am a big believer in working the steps and a big believer in working the tools. And I also know, having done it, that it's possible to work at the steps and the tools from my head up and not let my heart into it and not really bring a higher... It's very... I can do the best. I can do amazing, like, delicious-sounding writing on step three and not have felt a lick of it, you know? Like, I can make it sound really good. And so, um, I've, I, when I work with sponsees, and, and this sponsor did that for me, it's like we work really slowly to kind of make sure that it's sinking in because I like, because I could fly through them and you know get an A plus, but then at the end still be like jittery and nervous and scared and not really have not really have digested it, you know. So um, that's something that I work on on a daily basis because I can even beat myself up now for not meditating every day, you know. And some days I can't, you know. Like one second I can't, when I always can, but some days I don't, for whatever reason. Some days I don't, and um, and that and and. And then I'll start doing it. I'll have to call friends in program. I'll be doing a number on myself. Like, I didn't meditate today. And, blah, 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 and that's why. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I really, I so believe that, that um, my higher power's will for me is to love myself unconditionally and love myself in all of my imperfections and all of the ways that I don't show up for these usually self-imposed, like, lists and ways that things should go. You know, I've... I've tanked in conversations. I've had conversations. You know, I'm, I'm married now, and I've been married to my husband. We've been together for seven and a half years. We've been married for almost two. So, you know, I've been in recovery for quite a while when I even met him, and I've had conversations with him that I've just tanked, like that have been so self-centered and so bratty and so devoid of, you know, uh, like God's consciousness in them. I have doozy things with my mom. I have screwed up on work stuff. I have, you know, been overdrawn at the bank. Like, I've done plenty of things, like, totally imperfectly. And um, and through working this program, like, have gotten to then get up the next day or, you know, get up that, after, that afternoon and go on with my life, you know, and make amends where I need to make amends, clean it up where I need to clean it up, take a look at, you know, any sloppy behaviors that maybe you're sort of creeping in and and keep going and I think that is um that's just that's such a gift you know um because I I I don't know that I spent so much of my life so nervous like just so keyed up and on edge about like the other shoe about to drop and 
and, you know, what will happen if whatever result is. And I really don't live like that anymore. Sometimes, yes, it absolutely comes up, and that's where I have to get on the phone. And, and I use the phone so much. I have such amazing, amazing friendships that I've made in this program. And also people that aren't even friends, but that are like people that have been in here longer than me. They're like my elders, you know, in this program. That, like, we're not calling and chatting about whatever. It's like I'm calling to lean on their experience, strength, and hope. And, um, and being, being willing to be honest enough with someone to ask for that kind of help. I never wanted to ask for help. Um, so, so for the newcomers, I really, I really, really, really just invite you to use the tool of the telephone. And we're all, we all, if, if a name, if I put my name on a phone list, it means I want to get a phone call. And I believe that anyone else is doing that too. Like we wouldn't write our names and numbers and emails down if we didn't want to be reached out to. Because I also know that when I get a call, especially if I pick it up when I don't want to pick it up, like that's the moment I need to pick it up. And that's the moment that whoever's calling me actually saves me from having whatever kind of rocky day I might have. Um, how long do I have? Seven more minutes. I'm sorry, no. Okay, so um, I guess I will talk a little bit about what it's, just what it's like now, um, which is, I mean, I know I've talked somewhat about it, but um, I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that there was a disease that was in my house, and I spent a lot of years really judging and blaming the other people in my family for giving, quote-unquote, giving this disease to me. I do not believe that they gave it to me. I believe, you know, no coincidence that we're all in the same family, and that's a whole other conversation about, you know, why I have the family I have, but they didn't do this to me, and I'm really clear on now that, like, whatever the screw-ups of whoever in my family it is, I am really loved. It is not their fault. And I am so, I feel incredibly grateful that I would say one day at a time. Sometimes it's like one, one half day at a time because the impulses still come up. I do not have to judge anyone else for the challenges that I have in my life. I believe that um, all the challenges that I have in my life are, and, and whether it's huge things or whether it's like a day-by-day day thing, are my higher power's way of like bringing me closer to it. Um, that I have the opportunity, any, any obstacle I face, I have the opportunity to either like pull away from God or to draw closer. And uh, if I choose drawing closer, which sometimes means that, again, it's messy and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what the next step is and I kind of just have to like be in limbo for a little while. If I, I, never, I, never regret, I never regret the experience. I never wish I didn't have the experience. Some of the hardest things I've walked through in my life that I really didn't know how I was going to get to the next day. My husband and I went through something before we were married, and I, I didn't know how we were going to make it from morning to night some days. And I spent so much time on my knees turning it over. Like, And I learned that phrase in here, and I say that phrase, I must say that phrase five times a day, about whether it's the tra- traffic or, you know, a huge, a huge upheaval in my family. Um, I spent so much time, and I just, I trusted, you know, and it's, and, and it's in the big book that, that God really is in our intuition and really is in, like, that quiet voice inside that tells us what to do. And when I trust that, and I go with that, and I, and I have to bounce it off other people plenty of times, people that I trust in these rooms, like it's, I don't, I don't want to make those decisions alone most of the time. Um, it, it, does, it does turn out 
right. And by right, I don't mean it turns out the way I want necessarily. But then when I get to look back, it's like I, I feel I feel grounded and full and whole when I make that decision. And then when I get to look back, I see how it all stacked up. It doesn't feel like a series of dominoes that crashed down on each other and made a huge pile of mistakes. It feels like when I'm willing, even if it's the scariest thing ever, to kind of do what that little voice says, that like life really does have this very beautiful, rich path. Um, and I learned to do that in here. Um, I learned to do that in step three, which couldn't have happened without steps one and two. Um, and I find that like step two and, and, and came to believe that the power greater ourselves could restore us to sanity. I kind of have to sometimes check in with myself midday and be like, wait a minute, how do I define my higher power? Because I'm not acting like I believe in that higher power right now, you know? I'm, I'm acting like, like my higher power doesn't want to handle this area of my life or isn't out for my best interests in this or, you know, wants to see me thrown under the bus. It's like that's how I'll act sometimes, so I have to go back and remember, like, no, wait a second. I actually got to decide what I want my higher power to be, and it's not that. You know, it's an incredibly loving, incredibly smart, like really has a better plan than me, incredibly, you know, clever, interesting, nonlinear, you know, so I just I have to reinvest in that all the time. And then, um, you know, again, like the process of like the fourth step through the ninth step, the, the you know, the making a list of, of my resentments, and taking that all the way through my character defects and then having to apologize. Like, talk about knocking all of that shame and that desire for, like, don't know who I really am. Like, having to take that down. And some, you know, and having to make amends to some people that I really thought, I think I think I would rather die. I think I would rather die than face this person and tell them some of the stuff that I'd done. And, uh, and it wasn't like I embezzled $80,000 or, and even if, I mean, that to me felt easier than some of the stuff I had to say, like, I stole your food, you know, like, that to me, I was like, I'd rather, I'd rather have done, like, white-collar crime, you know, and, um, and then, it, you know, then admit that and, and, or, you know, to the people I know, people that I know the best, that was definitely the hardest, but, you know, again, I had good sponsors, and they said do it, and they seemed great, and they had, you know, and they would tell me their horror stories, so I would do it, and, um, and I, I just feel like, um, that this program, you know, it does, First of all, it did open the door to just a lot of other really beautiful spiritual practices also that have sort of come in as a result of being able... But this is the thing that's been consistent the whole time. I've gotten really into other things at this time, really into other things at this time, and take little pieces from here and little pieces from here. But this is the one thing that for 14 years has been the through line and the one thing that has not changed and the one thing that I keep going back to and keep getting more from. And every time I read the literature, it's different. I hear something I've never heard. I underline something I've never underlined. Someone said something in a meeting and I've never thought about that passage that way. Um, it just doesn't end. Thank you. Um, but what I was going to say is that I do, I feel like, um, I sort of touched on this a little bit in the beginning, but... This willingness to be imperfect and this willingness to just be kind of vulnerable in my life, but it's the best part, you know? Like, I don't actually, I I was chatting with them before the meeting. I spent most, I'm so glad this is an audio, not a video thing, because I spent most of today in tears. Um, And sure, it's like I could blame it on being super hormonal because my baby's coming in about two weeks or who knows. But for whatever reason today, it was such an emotional day. And what I, and that's okay. And, like, what I do with that day 
is like I'm in it. I didn't. My food wasn't any different. I mean, my food's always different being pregnant. <laughs> like it wasn't weird. It was just what I needed to eat. You know, I ate what I needed to eat today and like moved on. And it, I didn't spend any any extra time in front of the fridge. Uh, and I just was sort of like the people I was present with. It was just like here's me and here's me like here's me crying and that's just the way it is today. You know. And if I and I getting to be that honest in my life. One, I feel like if I look at my friendships now and, you know, the person that I'm married now and my relationship with my family now, it's like it's there are these beautiful, textured, real relationships, you know, and and if and I look at before when I came in where no I I didn't let anyone know who I was. So everything was so surfacy and so. Just so, um, yeah, just so superficial. And, and same thing with my work. It's like um, I am in a creative field, and I know that, you know, before, like way back when, and, and sometimes, I mean, again, it's like I don't think the disease doesn't ever go away, which is why we keep coming. So, again, like I'll fall into this and then luckily have tools and steps to put it in check. But it was just so much about, like, what do you think about me? Am I doing it the way you want me to do it? And is this good enough for you? And... Now it's like it's 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 really a spiritual. I, I feel like it, my work gets to be a spiritual act, and I get to really ask, like, bring my higher power into it, and ask how I can be of the most service, you know. And that concept of being of service, which completely turned me off before I was in here, because it was like I have too much to do to manage my own life. So again, extracurricular activities aside, or volunteering this and this and this, but none of it really came from like deep within. And so this concept of like doing going to any lengths to keep myself in the best spiritual condition so that I can help someone else, whether it's in a meeting or whether it's in my work or whether it's at the gas station or whatever, it does, you know, I heard it for so long and it finally started to make sense that when I'm struggling, like, look for who I can help, you know, because I'm my disease wants me trapped in my head. My disease wants it never to be enough. And if I make it about someone else, then I just, like, it's like I won't have time to listen to that because I'll have to be listening to you and I'll have to be, like, showing up for you. So I think I'll wrap it up. Um, I don't know that I have anything else that I haven't already said to say, but um, but I really am. I am so moved and grateful. And there's people in here that I've seen for years and years and years. There's people I've never seen before, and I just... I just think it's all, it's, it's amazing that we get to do this together. It really is. And, uh, and I do feel like you, you get from the program what you put into it. I really experienced that in my first year. Like, if I, if I make it a shallow, you know, eh, sort of half, insert word, <laughs> you know, sort of a half-baked thing, um, it's different than if I really surrender to, like, it's worked for a lot of people. So if I surrender to that it's going to work for me. Um, then my odds are pretty good, I think. So thanks for letting me share. Oh, okay. Any questions? Yes. Thank you. Um, I was wondering how you work step three when you, if you like, are in such a demand that are tight, holding on so tight. Like, how do you turn your will in your life? Like, what baby steps do you take to turn your will in your life? Like, Okay, great. Um, and I do, I do go through that a lot. Um, so some of the different ways in various combinations are, I do think step three in the 12 and 12 is 
in both of the Tom 12s, AA and OA, is amazing. And sometimes I will sit and open it up, and my eyes will sort of glaze over, and I will keep reading it until a phrase stands out to me that reminds me that I've turned my will and my life over and that God's in charge. So I do that. Um, say I'm not home. Don't have the 12 and 12 in my car. Uh, I do pick There's a. I have a couple, like, like my, my God Squad in program who, when, when I'm down, they got me. When they're down, I've got them. I will call them, and sometimes I'll have to leave them, like, fill up three different messages on their voicemail, but I just have to, like, get it out. And, and they do call me back, and they do tell me. And when I hear it from people that I trust so much, that, that sinks in for me. I get down on my knees. I have, I have done the cliche we've all heard in here. I've gone into the bathroom at a restaurant and gotten on my knees and said, help, you know, because I find that if I show up for the action, even if I don't feel it right away, I know that I will feel it. It's like I sort of, I feel like that's what having some time in here has taught me, that everything does pass. So I've spent a week, you know, I've spent a week or more or whatever feeling like, where is my faith? I don't have it. But I've showed up for the actions that work. I've kept up my meditation to the best of my ability in the morning. I've kept up writing because I know it'll, I know it'll work again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, what part of your daily practice do you really rely on that you find really helps you? Prayer and meditation. That's the main one for me. And I do have a practice in the morning. Um, that's where I'm most consistent. Again, not every single single day. <laughs> Thank you, God, for letting me be perfect. But that's, but I, I will, I mean, I do not go through one day. I will say that without talking to God at some point. And so, you know, I do have in the morning, I write in my journal. I read something. Most of the time I read something. I don't read as consistently as I pray and meditate. I get, I, I'm either, you know, sitting or on my knees. I talk out loud to God. And then I set a timer because I'm, of course, so scared that I'll get so deep into meditation that it'll be 11 a.m. and I won't have left, which has never happened. But, you know, I do set a timer just so I can, like, relax into that 20 minutes. And, um, and I just, I, I, you know, I have different meditation tools that I use, but that is really the main one for me. And then throughout the day, I talk to God out loud in my car. You know, I'll talk to God out loud via a voicemail on a friend's machine, and that's, that's, my, main, that's my main daily thing is step 11. Yes, in the back. What direction do you give someone when they ask you to sponsor them? Um, I say, so at the beginning, I say, let's try it for 30 days, see if it's a fit. And I just basically, um, I say, you know, I am going to ask you to, you sort of ask me, like, how do I start sponsoring someone? Or what's the first thing? What's the first thing when someone asks you, will you be my sponsor? I'll say, so I'll I'll, I'll say, call me at such and such a time. And if they don't call me at that time, they tell me something. You know, I don't might not going to write them off, but it is important to me. It's a two-way street, you know. And I just, I, I, I get a sense of what, sort of where they are and what's going on with them. Are they new? Have they been around for a long time? And then I say, you know, this really is, for me, it's a, the, the work we're going to do together is on the steps and the tools to be on a spiritual path together. So I just kind of get a sense of if they're willing to do that. You know, are they willing to buy the books? Are they willing to do writing on time are they willing to call me you know and I've had I have some people that call me five days a week I have some people that call me three days a week again I don't sort of have I don't have a fixed plan on this is how it is for every person I do try to just again sort of see where they are in their program in their life and what are they willing to do and where can I maybe push them a little bit you know because I know for me it was important when I was sponsored to be asked to get out of my comfort zone a little bit like I couldn't make all the terms 
Um, and then we start the steps pretty quickly. Like maybe first I'll get a food history from them just so I can kind of find out where their disease lives. And we can talk about that. And we sort of jump right into step one. using. And I usually use the 12 and 12 first, but I adore the big book. And we did the second time we go through the steps in the big book. That's just the order I do it. Yeah. And then behind, you had a question behind me? <laughs> so I, those are like those are daily ones to work too you know it's like I um because again I've gone I've gone through the steps several times and and I feel like at first I wanted sort of a, a huge like 35 character defects and again I was encouraged like condense it you know because they really show up they all have different faces but there's really a few big ones so you know I know that control and playing God and perfectionism and jealousy and rage are, are some of my biggest ones. So those are like familiar friends to me. So when I send my, I send my food to my sponsor every night in an email, and I'll also say in there, if something came up that really like triggered one of my defects, and I talk to her every, I talk to her Monday through Friday too. So I'll check in with her about it, and if at the end of the day I realize like, oh, I kind of conveniently forgot to say that one, I'll I'll put it in there, and then if there's an amends, I, I don't like making amends. So if there's, you know, hopefully I can stay enough out of my defects that I don't have to like go clean it up after. You know, knowing that my actions have consequences kind of keep me from acting out on them too much. And uh, and I and I will say out loud that seven step prayer. So I think we're done. Thank you.